Welcome to the Low Rates High Returns podcast where we'll uncover the timeless investment principles so you can escape the rat race, earn passive income and create lasting wealth. I'm Pete Wargent, investor and financial coach and I'm joined by Stephen Moriarty, private investor and the co-author of our new book, Low Rates High Returns. In each episode of this podcast, we talk about the crucial concepts around managing your own money, how to invest, when to invest and the key lessons we've learned along the way about generating passive income. The things we discuss in this episode shouldn't be taken as financial advice, and we recommend you reach out to a licensed professional advisor who can help you with your unique circumstances. Enjoy the show. G'day and welcome to the Low Rates High Returns podcast. I'm Pete Wargent. I'm here with Stephen Moriarty, as always. Hi, all. I uh, always struggle with that word Moriarty. I can't, <laughs> just can't get it out. The so evilness of it. Today we're going to talk about the Kelly criterion and Kelly psychology. So in the last couple of episodes, we've talked about individual decision making and group think. And people might say, well, OK, guys, we've got the point. Uh, people tend to uh, think as a group and then make irrational decisions as a result. But you need some kind of a context or a framework for doing things differently and maximising your wealth, which is what the Kelly criterion does. I'm just going to hop back to before the financial crisis. So I had a job at a corporate and I was doing a group FC role. And I can remember a few of my work colleagues coming up to their retirement dates. They you know, paid off their homes in Sydney, just getting ready to retire. And then suddenly, boom, market drops 40%, super funds. Uh, so for me, uh, because I did a lot of my career in Britain, my super was never a big part of my overall plan. So I was quite happy just to be in an industry fund or you know, the recommended fund that yep, everyone was in. And it got smashed. And that was the end of it for me. I was like, right, I'm self-managing from now on, <laughs> regardless of the balance. <laughs> uh, but for a lot of those people, they were close or at their wealth goal. And then suddenly they wake up uh, March 2009 and they're, they're 40% away from it or maybe yeah. 35% or whatever. And uh, back to work for the next few years. So let's start with Bernoulli, which is not an Italian dessert, but uh, <laughs> diminishing marginal, marginal utility. utility uh, yeah. So just to bring home that point. The whole idea of the Kelly criteria is basically to say, what's the best way to build wealth if the world is indeed random, right? Um, any card game or horse racing or the stock market. And so... If you overlay that with your subjectivity, with your own subjectivity, which is, oh, well, I'm going to retire at 65 and I've got 20 years, or I'm 25 and I've got 50 years, that becomes a subjective part of it. Whether you're 20 or whether you're 50, if the stock market throws up an opportunity at a, you know, at a sort of secular low, well, regardless of what your age is and your subjectivity, that's a good opportunity to invest in the market. So what Bernoulli was basically saying was, and he used this argument that said, if a pauper won 10 bucks and a millionaire won 10 bucks, utility wise, as in you know, um, uh, the benefit you got from it, was equally good for a millionaire as it was for the pauper because it was 10 bucks. But as we know, it was like, well, hang on, to a millionaire, 10 bucks is nothing, but to a pauper, that's fantastic because it might be a week's wages or something. And so the way it sort of developed there was getting to the point of saying, what's the best outcome purely looking at making money? So if you said, look, 
I don't, I don't care about my age. I don't care about my emotions. All I want to do is make as much money as possible. What's the best method to do it? And that's what Kelly sort of developed up, was basically saying, well, if, if you had information that was an edge, then that's where you could use it to make more money in your life, whether you're 25 or whether you're 65. And hence the reason why you see someone like Warren Buffett making more and more money as he gets older because it's all of that compounding and, and Warren just likes making a lot of money. So if you objectively follow the Kelly criterion or the Kelly formula, that will maximise your long-term wealth. Yeah. Um, I suppose... Not, not, I should just interrupt there, Pete. Not, <clears throat> not for every single occasion, but what Kelly says is this is the best way to basically avoid bankruptcy and maximise your wealth through the, the fractional betting stuff. Yeah, but I suppose, um, as we were speaking about at the start there, so as you get closer to your wealth goal, you might be less inclined to take risks. So different from Buffett, obviously, as a manager yep. of a conglomerate, essentially. But for a lot of us, you know, when we've got the ideal life that we want, we've achieved our wealth goal, then naturally, for, for most people, it doesn't really make sense to take on risk as such because... Um, you've achieved what you need to achieve. Yeah. So that's where you've got to look at it in your own context. You mentioned Buffett there. Um, a lot of articles doing the rounds at the time of speaking about, oh, has Buffett lost his touch and all yep. the rest of it? It's a bit unfair, really, because Buffett is managing hundreds of billions of dollars of funds these days. very difficult to achieve outperformance with you know, all these dozens of different entities underneath and so on. Yep. But it's interesting to look at the, the, the Berkshire annual report to 2019, which was a market top. So the S&P 500 had done from 1964, done about 10% at a market top. It's probably a bit less yep. now. And a compounded return of about uh, 20,000%. So Berkshire's book value, um, Buffett, unbelievably compounded, even with that amount of wealth at 20% over the same time period. And you might say, well, you know, the difference between 10% and 20% will say what, uh, but the difference in the, the increase in Berkshire's book value is 2.7 million percent. Yeah. You know, it's not, you're not talking it's about, a lot. this is what really Kelly is all about. You're not um, focusing on the arithmetic average return. You're talking yeah. about the actual, well, the logarithmic or return that you can make on, on your wealth. Yeah, Kelly, Kelly is basically saying, if these are all independent bets, which I think the stock market is not, Therefore, it's actually better to use Kelly in the stock market than, you know, playing blackjack. But the idea is simply saying, look, under a random world, what's the best approach to make money on a consistent basis? And this is the hard part about sort of explaining to people who, you know, criticise Buffett, because what you can do is you can say, oh, Warren Buffett's done terrible over the last 10 years. And you can say, oh, yeah, OK, how about 20 years? Oh, he's killed it. Oh, well, OK, well, that's good for them. So. Again, it's always this idea about cherry picking dates and stuff, not focusing on saying what's the best approach, right? Because we can all pick dates to say, look, I made all my money here. Oh, what about there? Oh, no, that was terrible. Oh, okay. Well, that strategy doesn't work. The idea is the objectivity, and this is where we get into this subjective objective stuff. Kelly says, without your personality, without anything influencing you, here's a methodology that works most of the time, right? And it beats all other returns. And so that's the way it works. Now, does Kelly underperform? Absolutely. Why? 
Well, Warren Buffett's an exponent of that that shows it underperforms. Also a bit unfair on Buffett because if he was managing a million dollars, he would probably be returning near a 50% and he wouldn't be investing in Coca-Cola or any of the other massive companies because he wouldn't need to. Obviously, the size of the the funds under management is a dead weight on his returns these days. But I think one of the, uh, the key things, I mean, I've got this graph that I stick up on my wall from time to time just to remind myself of the equivalence between arithmetic and logarithmic returns because yeah. uh, in any given year it might not feel to be such a big difference, but over time the, the impact of compounding is just so big. It's and I think really, it's, yeah. it's one of those points you almost have to keep drilling it into your brain. Yeah. That if a market, if you buy, buy a market at $2 and it goes to one, I was going to say pounds then because I'm British, then you've, you've lost 50%. But for the person who buys at a dollar, when the market rebounds to a dollar fifty, not only have they had a much better yield, I mean, they've, they've made a 50% return even just on the bounce back. And yep. it, it feels somewhat almost unfair when you look at it that way, but that's just the nature of the way numbers work. Yeah, it's the... It's the Again, the objectivity of numbers is why I prefer to look at that and say, and we talked about this in the last series, you know, about this capitalist distribution stuff, where you look at the companies and you look at it and say, well, my chances of picking 200 good companies subjectively via some sort of criteria is really, really difficult. If you look at a lot of the the wisdom, I suppose, of Kelly is that it's, it's actually pretty simple. And it's pretty simple because it doesn't involve subjectivity. Kelly says, right, here's the odds. Here's what you should bet according to the formula. The subjective part, even a lot of Kelly operators go the half Kelly. You know, why? Because they can't stand the volatility, right? But the volatility gives you the opportunity to do really well. But it's the it's the emotional part of like, holy Jesus, you know, they want me to put 60% of my total wealth in. You know, that's hard to do. And I'm, I'm not... I'm not criticising fractional Kellys. That's what I use because it's actually safer and it's just, you know, it's it, it's a lot. You know, people talk about Buffett, you know, putting lots into the portfolio and you do, you sort of go, Jesus, that's one hell of a bet, you know, to put 40% of your wealth of the fund in um, American Express, you know, after the oil salad scandal. It always comes upon you where you go, wow, you know, what a great opportunity. But you do tend to just go, oh, yeah, but, you know, something could go wrong. Especially with individual companies. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, less uh, less difficult to do with an index, yep. uh, you know, a country ETF or a sector, uh, but pretty difficult to do with an individual company. Well, that's why it's so much easier with indexes, you know, because they can't go to, you know, theoretically or practically, they can't go to zero. And so if you can manage your money objectively, right, which includes that rebalancing, so you make money and it says, right, Take money off the table. The subjectivity comes in when you go, oh, I might just let it run another 10%, you know, because I'm, I'm, I'm I've got a good feeling about it. And that's why, again, Kelly is an objective formula. You know, there's no subjectivity in the formula. And so that's the part that succeeds. You know, the main problem is always the subjectivity, not the objectivity. Yeah, and that's where having a systematic plan for your assets allocation and yeah. position sizing and yep. all of that comes in. It makes life so much easier if you can just go, hang on a sec, I'm just going to refer to my plan. Yep. This is what I need to do. Um, and you don't need to worry so much about, oh, my God, is the market going up or yeah. down tomorrow? Because you've already preempted that by yeah. having a plan in place. And you've got all those people yelling and screaming, you know, like, oh, the market's doing this, oh, the market's doing that. And you just, 
you just can't help it as a as a human being getting influence and going, oh, maybe I should, you know, maybe I should, like, you know. And that's why, you know, Warren's pretty good because he's 89 years of age and he's just mastered the methodology. You know, that's what he's really sort of mastered. And this is why I say people are like, oh, you know, Buffett hasn't done that well. I went and had a look last night. And if I'm right, big, um, Berkshire B shares launched in about 2000 or something at $40. Now they're 170 or something. And I thought to myself, oh, you know, that's not that good a return. But when I actually calculated it, it's about 20% per year. Well, you know, I'll take that every day of the week. Thanks very much. Because I thought to myself, oh, well, he doesn't pay a dividend and, mm, you know, that's probably affected the return and stuff. But it's still a really good return. Yeah, you mentioned there about the volatility and how it's, it's difficult to deal with volatility. Yeah, yeah. And that's why you need to find a position sizing that you're emotionally yeah. comfortable with. So I think that was an Ed Thorpe concept who is a, um, a devotee essentially of the, the Kelly criteria, yeah. the fortunes formula. And he basically said, well, you, you need to, you can only really bet what you're emotionally comfortable with. Because yeah. I've read papers that show that um, if you use, uh, for example, leverage for the long run in, in stock markets, yep. there's no, n- not necessarily any natural decay. And therefore, you can actually use leverage for the long run. The challenge, of course, is when you get these huge swings in the portfolio. And there's very few yep. people that have the stomach for looking at drawdowns that might be 60 to 90%. Yeah. <laughs> so, and that's that's where um, the position sizing comes into it. So Buffett might be comfortable with 40% in one stock, but for most of us, uh, that's not a level of confidence or conviction that we might have. Yeah, the reason why Buffett is so talented, I think, personally in that bat, and this is not talked about enough, Warren Buffett is a Kelly investor right? That's how he invests. He waits for the odds of being in his favour and that's when he invests. He's been doing that for, you know, 70 years successfully. And that's why I say, you know, lots of people get caught up about what Buffett bought and has it got a moat and, you know, rah, 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 rah. What I look at is saying, when is Buffett buying, right? And as we know this year, 2020's annual shindig, he was very pessimistic, And yet there's lots of people out there going, oh, you know, once in a lifetime opportunity, you know, blah, blah. Well, if the world's greatest, one of the world's greatest investors is not buying, then why is he not buying? And it's because the indicator he uses says the market's expensive, right? And so what does that say? The odds are not in my favour. You know, he's ignoring all of that noise about, oh, Warren, you've underperformed for 10 years. He's, you know, he's impervious to that because... They did that to him in the year 2000. You know, oh, you've missed the boat, Warren, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then he kills it, you know. So that's a better approach by being objective and and holding your own counsel than it is by saying, oh, I'll just listen to everybody. And because what you do is, as I did as a young investor, you know, you end up buying bloody stocks left, right and centre because you're listening to everybody else and you don't really know what you're doing, you know. So that Berkshire annual meeting this year is an interesting one because normally it's a bit of a, a shindig where everyone gets together. There's a, a, bit, happy families, a bit of normally. a love in. Yeah, but obviously with uh, COVID-19 this yeah. time, uh, it was uh, we're all dialing in by Zoom and YouTube <laughs> and all the rest of it. No, Charlie. So you could say uh, that potentially, you know, Buffett sounded a bit more subdued because there wasn't the audience there and Charlie wasn't there as his sidekick. And, yeah. Uh, 
And people were saying, well, you know, it wouldn't be really appropriate for him to be saying, oh, buy America because I am because, uh, you know, we're in the middle of a recession. Yeah. A lot of people in the US have lost their jobs. Unemployment could be heading to, well, it's probably 15%, but it could be heading to 20 or 25 So it wouldn't really be appropriate for Buffett to be rubbing his hands together and saying, all right, great time to buy. That's one interpretation. The way I read it was, well, look, uh, if you look at Berkshire's quarterlies, they've been offloading shares because, well, airlines for obvious reasons, uh, but also other positions lightening up, presumably because the Buffett indicator or the other macro valuations that he might use, we use the CAPE ratio, the Cape ratio at 28 when you're heading into a recession doesn't spell great returns. Yeah, yeah. This is the biggest misnomer about Buffett of, you know, he's a buy and hold investor. Why do people always say that? I, because I, because, but because Warren they're... himself said, my favourite, you know, our yeah, favourite yeah. holding period is forever. Well, if I bought a bloody company that compounded at 15% per <laughs> year, my holding period would be forever too. But, you know, you don't get it. I suppose people can always cherry pick quotes to, to make them say whatever they want. It, it is amazing, actually, when you get all these... Uh, forums where people are promoting certain strategies like a dollar cost averaging and then they quote Buffett. And so yep. when is, since yeah, when has yeah. Berkshire ever been a, a buy and hold investor in the ASX 300? Well, <laughs> everybody, that's that's the thing. I mean, you know, I, I, I like the Kelly criteria. I use it because it makes sense to me. I've read about it. I've read, a, you know, I've done, I, in my master's, I did um, efficient market hypothesis and it just doesn't make sense. Now, why doesn't it make sense? Because the first three assumptions, uh, we're all rational. Eh, that's wrong. Uh, we're all individuals and we don't listen to each other. Eh, that's wrong. So it's a bit like, well, hang on, stop. Why would you bother going any further? You know, it's wrong. Whereas Kelly is based on reality, which says, no, 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 you don't invest at one point. You invest multiple points in time. And if I say to people, well, here I'll give you 1% and here I'll give you 11 you would go, okay, Steve, well, I'll wait for the 11. All right, save up your money and wait for the 11. You know, but the the industry is geared around this constant churn, you know, just get them buying or selling. And that's their motivation, which is fine. But again, it's not the right approach for every individual. And it ties back to what you said at the start was, you know, people lose a lot of money because they don't, educate themselves in a way about on on financial matters. Yeah, so I think the, the this is a really good point because I, I remember reading about um, Buffett and being a Kelly investor. I think it was Hagstrom's book series years and years yeah. ago. And I remember thinking, oh, yeah, that sounds good. Buffett's a focus investor. But I didn't have a framework. That's the thing. I, yeah. I, was, I, I like the idea. You pick good companies. You buy them. You know, uh, you try and be contrarian. But if you don't have that macro overlay in terms of the expected returns, you can lose a lot of money. You can yeah. pick a good company. And I think it was Howard Marks that says that you know, what a, a genius does at one price, a fool does at another. And um, I think that's where the CAPE ratio and working out the expected returns is so key. So, you know, CAPE at 28 might say, OK, well, 4% nominal returns over the next decade. But the risk is not that you get 4, 4, 4, 4. The risk is that you get... <laughs> For, 5, 10, 15, minus 50. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. And um, as we keep on hammering this point home, uh, if you, you have to avoid those massive drawdowns if you want to compound yeah. your wealth. You've got to actively manage your portfolio. And you, again, you know, this is what, you know, Buffett says, you know, focus on the risk, right? 
what is the risk of losing money? Buffett, basically, part of the reason, as you said before, he's not buying now is because he's looking at the economy going, it looks awful. What does that mean? It looks really risky, right? But what is everyone talking about? Everyone's talking about the 25% bounce back rather than saying for a start, well, hang on, we're still down 10% from where we were at the start of the year. So again, there's all this daily chatter where he looks at it and just said, the odds are not in my favour. No bet. Why would you want to bet when the it's a card? You know, it's a it's a coin toss. It's ridiculous. You want to bet when you get really good cards, and that's why I think at the moment he's selling down stuff. I think he's selling down stuff because what he's saying is this looks really, really awful, and it's not even worth saying I'll hold the airlines because what he's saying is. I'm selling the airlines because I can't see what they're going to look like in 10 years. And that's pretty serious. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, the the whole point of the Kelly criterion is having the patience to wait for those you know, great investments. But when they're at a good value and the yield might be six or eight percent, yep. you've got the, the upside potential from the growth. So, Steve, if someone's listening to this and saying, well, this uh, Kelly criterion or approach to investing sounds familiar where would they start if they were trying to build a systematic plan? What would they start with the asset allocation first and then build from there in terms of position sizing? Yeah, usually that it's, it's, you know, I sort of say to people, making money in investing is easy. Losing money is even easier um, because that's, you know, you've got to avoid doing the dumb stuff. The, the thing always, Pete, is the same when you play cards. What are the odds, Right. What am I being offered? What are my cards in front of me? And how much can I win and how much can I lose? Right? So again, it gets back to this idea of this constant chatter about the stock market. And what we talked about prior to this, this podcast was, you know, there's this constant prediction going on, right? And that's fine. That's fine. I don't mind that. But the reality is most experts, including myself and everybody, get it wrong. And if you get it wrong with a little bit, that's fine. But if you get it wrong big time, it costs you a lot. And so what you want to do is look at Kelly as a sort of um, the objective player, which says, you know, and as you know, we use the CAPE ratio to say, look, Steve, if you put money in the market now, historically, it's returned 3% over the next 10 years. As you said, you don't get three, 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 three. So often what you do is when the CAPE is high, you lose a huge amount of your capital portion, right? If the cape is really low, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I know subjectively it's scary and the world's going to end and blah, blah. But if you look at history, you do really well. That's it. If you look at those numbers and you say, Steve, here it's offering you 11, here it's offering you one. Oh yeah, but when it's offering me one, I was, you know, it was a great time and the economy was booming and everyone was going really well. Yeah, subjectively objectively, it was a bad time to be invested a lot in the market. And the flip side is, again, when it's really cheap, use your asset allocation to say, okay, now's a good time to invest, you know, for five years or 10 years and use that time frame. And that's where the, you know, again, the successful investors basically cut off their emotions and say, look, I know it's really hard, but it's worked before. And if you have a Kelly sort of plan that will help maximise your wealth. Yeah, so you, and you certainly need to try and steer clear of the media stories because I, yeah. I can remember back in uh, Q1 2009, some of the, the media stories, I mean, obviously the economy, it was shot to shit essentially, 
uh, for want of a better phrase. But even the talk about investing. That was, one's good. That'll it was, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll edit something better in. Um, the, uh, the, even the talk about investing was, oh, this is a terrible time, you know, because, um, you know, there's no, how can we ever come out of this? There's been big defaults in the US. Um, yep. Leverage has been very explosive on the downside and uh, it's, it's amplified the downturn. Whereas an objective view would would have said, well, look, the, the valuations are very cheap. Now it was it was harder to to actually do than to say, but that's that's the whole point. If you, if you read media headlines every day, that's not going to help you. That's just background noise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the signal is is the market valuation. Yeah, well, if you know, and that's a little bit the difference. Where in '08, in November, I think it was '08, Buffett said, you know, buy American, I am right. Why? Because the stocks had become cheap, right? Even from just a year or two earlier. This year, he di- he said, don't bet against America. Now, my interpretation is, yeah, okay, long term, right? He didn't come out this time and say, after a 35% drop, you know, great time to buy stocks. Why? Because it's not a great time to buy stocks. And that's my criticism of this incessant bullishness, which is, you know, always this, you know, just buy stocks for the long term, just buy stocks for the long term. And I keep saying, hang on look at the objective return and see what they're offering, then have a look at your subjective position and see if it works. Because what you find is lots of people lose money near their wealth goal, like you were saying, you know, and it's the same in all asset classes. What's the return on offer? You know, that's your objective or guideline. Now, you won't get it right all the time, but it works predominantly because you're not you know, speculating, so to speak, on a story or a narrative and that, you know, this is a great growth stock, you know, blah, blah, blah. I mean, look at WeWork and where it's fallen from. Um, you know, look at Uber and where it's fallen from. You know, they were they were going to conquer the world. Now, they still can't make any bloody money. So this is um, where your personal situation comes into the equation as well. So my allocation to stocks might be more conservative than somebody else who's younger, uh, but it might be different. I'm in my early 40s now. I'm quite keen on having another couple of cycles to grow my wealth, but it might be different when I'm 60. I might be saying at that point, well, I don't really need to achieve much more and therefore I might move to a more conservative approach. So what uh, might be right for one person may not be quite right for another, but the the, the key point being that um, if you follow the Kelly criterion objectively, well, that, that essentially guides you towards um, an allocation that is uh, more exposed to stocks when the market is cheaper and yeah. vice versa. Kelly, Kelly doesn't really say, oh, well, if you're 20, you should bet like this. Oh, but if you're 60, you should bet like this. What it does say, though, is, look, if you're 60 and you want to knock off at 65 and there's no more money after that, okay, Listen, put a lot of it aside in, you know, like Taleb talks about the barbell stuff, you know, put a lot of it in bonds, but, you know, use a hundred or 200,000 to invest in the market according to what the, what's on offer. Whereas if you're 20, the returns are still the same. It's just how much money you're going to play with, right? And, but, and Kelly is simply saying, as you get closer to your wealth goal, that's where you should take more and more money off the table. Benuli said, no, 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 if it's a really great opportunity, pile in 80%. Whereas if you're at 65, you'd go, well, hang on, if I lose that bet, that's, you know, that's poverty. That's where the, the, the sort of subjectivity comes in. 
even with Kelly, where you have to say, well, hang on, I, I need to adjust what figure I'm working with to get the to get the appropriate asset allocation. So this goes back to what we talked about all the way back in episode one on why you should manage your own money, cost, yeah. choice and control, the three C's, because as I said right back in the beginning, if you throw your money into a, a super fund, it's not being managed with your objectives in mind. And you might be 63 and coming up to retirement. Um, but the, the super fund allocation, and yes, things have improved since then in the sense that you can have a more balanced yeah, uh, you can adjust portfolio bit, yeah. or so on. But yeah. um, you're still lumping your funds into a bucket with everybody else. Whereas if you manage your own money, um, it's completely within your control as to the level of risk you take on. You can adjust that accordingly as you get closer to your wealth goal. Yeah, I think super is a really good idea. I know there's lots of criticisms about it, you know, blah, blah, blah. Including but from us. Yeah, generally, I think it's a really good idea. The problem I have with it is that, like you said before, you just get chucked in with every, you know, you're just another fish in the pond. Um, and so it can't be as, as detailed in terms of what your, what your lifestyle is like, where you're heading, you know, all of that sort of stuff. And I don't think it's, I don't think it's granular enough. And to be quite honest, that's where I think you should do it yourself. And again, you know, plug, get educated about stocks. And that's what I mean. When you get, when you see it, it's not, you know, you know, the people that go through our program and it's like, well, it's not that hard. And it's like, no, it's not that hard. Um, Once you boil it down and we were talking about this before we started, you know, the 80-20 rule, you know, there's a, it, it, it looks difficult. Why? Because oh, there's all this daily bloody chatter about, you know, the market went up two, the market went down one, the market went up four, the market went down five. It's like, who cares? Give me the money in 10 years, you know, but you get, you get influenced by what's gone on for the last week or the last month or the last year. Yeah, a couple of things there. So one is uh, um, on the Kelly criteria. And one of the things, one of my takeaways is that it, it was a, maybe 20 years ago that I first read about it, but it didn't sink in. It didn't sink in at all. I was like, well, yeah, that makes sense. Sort of A bit like when I first time yeah. I read Taleb, I was like, well, that's interesting. But it didn't actually go in yeah. skin deep, if you like. Uh, it's only when you really have to hammer that point home that you realise, hang on a second, this is actually dynamite. It's the difference between you know, a geometric return of maybe yeah. just a couple of percent over inflation over the long run from just buying stocks at any point yep. in the cycle. Uh, because once you take off inflation and taxes and transaction costs, just buying the market doesn't deliver as much as you think it does. Yeah. Whereas the Kelly criterion, well, just go back to what, what Berkshire says in its annual report, 2.7 million percent return versus 20,000. You know, take your pick. Yeah. That's what you're dealing with over a longer time frame. Yep. And it's the difference between the arithmetic and logarithmic returns it's the exponential it, growth yeah all i you know buffett says oh well you know if you don't know what you're doing 95 percent in an index fund and i wouldn't i don't think that's wrong what i think he should have added to that was the macro overlay right the macro overlay about the you know using things such as you know cape or the um, market cap to gdp or a thing called tobin's q but basically always explaining to people that in 1982, the Cape ratio was seven. In 2000, it was 44. They are not the same return, right? You are not going to get at 44 what you were getting at seven, right? And that's what happens. You know, it did the same in 1929. It did the same in 1964. You know, it did the same in 2009. And so currently in 2020, 
CAPE is about 27. It's, the reality is it's probably about 32 once they get the earnings coming in. You can't look at that and say, oh, well, I should just put in the same amount of money and I should leave my half a million bucks in there because when it did that last time, it, get, you know, it fell away. And so that's the active management. And that's, again, saying to, saying to yourself, ignoring everything, discount everything, what are the odds, right? If you went to the bank and they said to you, look, we'll give you half a percent and look, we might have, you know, historically we've knocked off half your capital. You go, well, bloody hell, I'm not putting my money there. That's, an, that's objectively as, or as objective as you could get. I mean, yeah, the Cape could go to 40, absolutely. But we know the higher it goes, the more it crashes, right? Again, that's based on history. So you've got to ignore that, you know, oh, it's all drone pizzas and you know, electric cars and blah, 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 because that's what influences you to say, oh, well, I'll do it this way instead of doing it that objective way, right? And it's, again, once you start digging into the efficient market stuff and go, well, hang on, no, we're not all rational. Well, you know, hang on, we, we're all not the same. Uh, no, it's not just betting once and, you know, buy and hold forever. You start to look at that and go, well, what's the alternative? And uh, like you, when I read about Kelly, it was like, oh, that's interesting. And the more I read, the more I sort of went, actually, this really sort of makes sense. Well, someone might say, well, why is that important? But I guess this is a staple of probably every real estate seminar in the country, but it's the old grains of rice on a checkers board or chessboard <laughs> example. If you have one grain of rice on the on the first square and yeah. uh, you know uh, can you can you continue doubling those grains and it goes from two to four to eight i, mean, I used to do this with my old casio calculator yeah, yeah the old exponential if you add two four six eight ten twelve yep. it takes a very long time to get anywhere which is essentially what you're doing if you're just buying the market and leaving your funds there yep. but if you can grow your wealth exponentially two four eight sixteen thirty two I mean, the old Casio calculators, you reached you reached the limit of what it could deal with very quickly. And it's yeah. the same with grains of rice because the, the multiplying effect. And that essentially is why the rich get richer. And that is what the Kelly criterion is really helping you to do is actually compound your wealth, not just add it. Yeah, yeah. If people can't stand being in cash, right? And I, and I again harp on this point about people going, oh, you know, I've got all this cash. Well, okay, welcome to the club for a start. But secondly, the point being, if I came to you and said, well, listen, Bob, you know, I'm coming back in a month and I'll offer you nine or 10% compound, you'd go, oh, well, geez, I'll hang on for that. And it's, that's what you do. Again, it ties to the prediction. Oh, I can't see that on the horizon. Well, no, neither can I, but I'm telling you, it'll probably turn up. Why? Well, that's what's been happening for the last 180 years, right? So if you just hang around and, you know, Uncle Warren down there, he waits for the fat pitch and then he, he goes, you know, he goes in and that's when he makes his money. You know, it's, I'm not saying Buffett's not special, but what I'm saying is Buffett's methodology is a Kelly methodology, right? When the odds are good, bet in your favour. Will you lose sometimes? Of course you'll lose, you know. That's the way it is. It's not, it's not all skill. There's some luck involved as well. But using Kelly is the way to say this is the way I should bet without being emotional. Jim Simons, Warren Buffett, Ray Dalio, uh, you know, all of, the, all of the super rich investors use the Kelly type formula. You know, they don't buy and hold. That's just, that's the mathematics of it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So thank you for joining today. And um, always remember, 
uh, that turning points in the market are always a surprise, almost by definition. Yep. Uh, but that's why we keep hammering home this point about macro overlay, Cape ratio for valuations, and trying to keep that Kelly uh, investor approach uh, front of mind. So join us next time when we'll talk about skill versus luck. Cheers. See you then. See you next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to know more, you can download a free chapter and extra bonuses from our new book, Low Rates, High Returns. Just visit www.lowrateshighreturns.com forward slash book to download your free copy. The things we've discussed in this episode shouldn't be taken as financial advice and we recommend you reach out to a licensed professional advisor who can help you with your unique circumstances. Stephen and I are both on LinkedIn and Twitter, so do reach out and connect with us. And finally, it'd be great if you could subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps others to find the show. Now take care and invest wisely. Cheers. Cheers.